0: Meet Megan, Hi. a professional wedding photographer and professional wedding planner, Emily. Hey there. Together with 20 years experience in planning, designing and shooting all things wedding, they'll discuss how it's so much more than pretty pictures and a fun party. Welcome to Wedding Therapy, a podcast exploring why it is that weddings bring out the best and worst in people and how to navigate relationships and conflicts during the wedding planning process and beyond. Hello, and welcome to the Wedding Therapy Podcast. I'm here today with your host, Megan. And that's your host, Emily.
1: Hi! Hi. So, uh, I am very excited about today's episode. Um, Somehow, I keep having all these amazing people in my life be like, by the way, if you ever want me on your podcast that'd be awesome. And I'm like, why didn't I think of them? This happened with (laughs) Alan and now it happened with today's guests and I just feel so dumb. But
0: anyway, um, eventually you do think of them and then we love it.
1: (laughs) Um, But today's guest, her name is Kristen. Um, I know her from my church. I've actually shot her wedding back in 2013, right? Mm No, 2012. Was it 12? Okay. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, it's been, uh, we have a so relationship. On a, 13th in
2: 2012.
1: <laughs> yes. That's <laughs> what I was thinking of. Um, but yeah, we have a relationship on a couple different levels and she actually, um, is kind of in the mental health industry. I'm going to let her kind of explain what she does. Um, but when, when she first, when we first talked about her being on the podcast, it was because she had started kind of a new Instagram, um about mental health called hello resilience which i love that name and um i just i am somebody that struggles with anxiety and panic and um we just felt it was really important to kind of bring that onto the podcast i know that we talked to alan about anxiety but the reason that i wanted to do this episode is because anxiety and panic are very different and so i wanted to be able to kind of differentiate between the two Thought it would be really important for people to be able to recognize maybe which one they're dealing with and so I um, when Kristen talked about coming on I was like are you willing to talk about this topic because um, that was something that I felt was kind of important and so I'm gonna let Kristen kind of take it over from here and let her share who she is and what she does and her kind of experience with this particular topic
2: hi I'm so happy to be here thank you so much for having me Um, so I have dealt with anxiety for most of my life. Actually, um, I started dealing with it really in middle school, um, and all the way through high school and college. Um, through that though, I became really passionate about mental health and that was what made me want to pursue a career in it. Um, and so I got my bachelor's degree in psychology. I got my master's degree in marriage and family therapy, um, and then life just kind of got Curvy <laughs> um, with different roads. As it does. <laughs> um, and I found a new career path um, in behavior analysis. And so I spent some time um, doing ABA with children on the autism spectrum. Um, and after doing that for a while, the agency that I was working for developed a mental health um, side. And we had an opportunity to um, get our um, MFT intern hours which I hadn't finished at that point point. Um, and I got really good supervision um, from a psychologist who was really well trained in cognitive behavior therapy um, and so I ended up finishing my hours I got my MFT license um, and shortly after that I ended up leaving to work for a local school district um, and so now I um, provide behavior consultation for special education students for our local full inclusion school district. Um, And the school district places a lot of emphasis on student wellness in general. Um, We're a really small district and um, it's been really um, just a privilege to work with them to see how much they care about the student's whole being in general Um, and so really being able to use both of my sides of the mental health field, mental and behavioral health. So that's been really fun. Um, I got married almost eight years ago. Um, and soon after that, my husband and I decided to try and start a family. Um, and we ended up going through about a year and a half of infertility. And looking back on that time, that was really when I had a flare up of anxiety and depression. Um, and at the time I didn't really recognize it. I was so deep into all the emotion that comes with infertility that I just didn't think about it um, I didn't think about it after my son was born and I was dealing with postpartum depression I didn't think about it two years later when my daughter was born and I was still dealing with postpartum depression anxiety um, but soon after she was born I started having some really severe stomach pain and it would come and go every month or two Um, and being a mom of a newborn and a just two-year-old, I just kept going, that's what we do. Um, And it was over a year before I finally talked to my doctor about it. Um, And he had me come in right away, did an ultrasound and I had pretty severe gallstones. And so I was scheduled for surgery um, within a couple weeks, had my gallbladder removed. Um, It had shown chronic inflammation, obviously something I should have dealt with a long time ago. Um, And after the surgery, I started having complications. And those complications ultimately led to panic attacks. And again, it was something I didn't recognize. It took me, I want to say, three experiences before, I, and, and a conversation with a friend, actually, where she was like, oh, yeah, you had a panic attack. And I literally literally, you guys, this was my response. Well, I didn't feel an impending sense of doom because that's one of the diagnostic criteria.
0: I, I just want to ask, at this point, were you a practicing therapist?
2: Um, I was practicing at the school district. Yes.
1: So mm-hmm. so this is all, I'm going to get you're... all clinical with it. Yes. <laughs>
0: yes. And yeah. you probably were running through the things that you ask your patients, and you're like, well, I'm not. I'm not yeah. like that. I mean, exactly.
2: Like, exactly.
0: Classic woman response, yes. right? Like we're totally. so like we can power through. This doesn't yeah. hurt. This isn't hard. Oh my gosh.
2: Yep. Um, and so finally I was like, okay, maybe I need to really think through this. And so I got myself back into therapy and started talking to my therapist, who's an amazing, amazing Christian woman started talking to her about what I was experiencing and she was like, well, yes, you're having panic attacks. (laughs) Of course, that's a panic attack. You don't have to, you know, it's okay to not be 100% clinical, what you're describing is a panic attack. And I felt a lot of shame in that for a long time, because Mm. I looked back over these last, at this point, five years, Um, and thought to myself, gosh, my life could have been so different if I had just recognized it and I would have been a better wife and I would have been a better mom. And so for a while, I felt a lot of shame about that. Um, The panic attacks, once I recognized what they were, it was good, but it was also tricky because then I began to fear them. And so then it turned into like a full blown panic disorder. And then it turned into, well, I don't want to leave my house because I'm scared I'm going to have a panic attack. And so then we were talking more like agoraphobia, where even a simple trip to the grocery store or Target was extremely anxiety producing for me. Um, I didn't want to go to my best friend's house. I didn't want to go anywhere. There was nowhere that felt safe to me except my house. And there was even times when people being at my house felt unsafe. Mm -hmm. Um, So-
1: the way that it manifests, or the way I describe it, I guess for myself is that I end up feeling trapped. Yes, And then that will kind of perpetuate the panic. And so even people being at your house, it's not that you're trapped, but it feels like, well, I can't leave. And like, what do I do? And it is literally the worst. There's like no way to get out of it.
2: Yeah. And the first time actually that, um, that I experienced a panic attack, I was in an IEP meeting Um, and I was reviewing what we call a behavior support plan, which is just kind of a a general plan of how we're gonna support a student and their behaviors. And I wasn't feeling well when I started. I actually asked um, the team leader if I could go first because I wanted to be able to leave. She said yes, and literally mid-sentence, I said, I'm so sorry, I have to step out. I I feel lightheaded. And I think that was the other part of it for me that didn't signal panic attack because when I think panic attack, I think, Heart racing, sweating, difficulty breathing, and I wasn't feeling that. I was feeling like I'm gonna faint. The room is closing in on me. Um, sounds are feeling muffled, um, which looking back when you look in a textbook, those are symptoms. It's just not what we talk about as often. Well, because um, it's
1: not as loud. Exactly. Like for whatever reason we focus on a thing that's the most blaring and like right. crazy. Yeah, And lightheaded is very, I mean, it's scary for us experiencing it, but it's definitely not what people think about when they think about panic. It's not a symptom you associate with panic. And what's interesting is that I've been feeling really lightheaded probably for the last like three-ish months. And I still haven't really been able to figure out why. And I was thinking it was something wrong with me physically. I was about, just going to
0: say it's usually attributed to a physical. Right. Thing. I'm like, like I'm okay. not drinking enough water or you know. Exactly.
1: And I'm like sitting here now thinking and because I only had just the lightheadedness and nothing else, now I'm wondering if that was actually like panic. So anyway, it's just very interesting learning a lot in the moment. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Um so after experiencing all of this, getting out of the house in the morning was getting really difficult for me. I was still, the complications from after my surgery were still not diagnosed correctly. Um, My husband works a lot of hours. He's out of the house before my kids and I are even awake. Um, And so every morning it was me trying to get my, you know, two and four year old ready out to two different schools and then myself to work. And by the time I would get to work at, you know, eight, 8, 8.30 in the morning, I felt like I had put in a full day. I was exhausted. Yeah. Um, I made it through the school year last spring. Um, and then I started seeing different GI doctors, um, which is just misery. If anyone has ever experienced having to go to GI doctors, it's so much, we'll try this and then let's give it some time. And, oh, it didn't work. Let's try this and give it some time. And
0: My sister um, went through the exact like a full year of we don't know try this we don't know try this and constantly just getting poked and prodded and
2: I remember the nurse telling me well maybe it's a dairy allergy and my first thought is you're not taking my coffee creamer from me like you're just not (laughs) and my second thought was there's no way like I've had dairy my entire life this can't be it cannot be that um and finally after going to finally getting in with a different doctor she was like just missing. You don't have a gallbladder anymore. That's the problem. She started me on medication. And a month later, everything was much more normal. Um, But the panic wasn't. So I had been going through eight months of panic at that point. Um, And it was enough time to, you know, really solidify some pretty deep fears. Um, And so I ended up taking a leave of absence from work which for me, I'm a type A perfectionist, you know, always working, doing your best, taking a break is just not part of the equation. And so um, it took a few really wise people coming into my life and saying, it might be time to take a break and that's okay. It's okay to put yourself first. Um, It's not selfish to want to be a healthy mom and a healthy wife and a healthy person. Um, and it was the best decision I could have made. So I did that. Um, and that time really just allowed me um, five months of focusing on myself and my healing. Um, I was really, really fortunate to have the world's most amazing boss, um, who was so flexible with my time off and, and let me do some work from home so that I could still stay involved. Um, And it ended up being really good prep for COVID being virtual in the classroom. Um, Oh
0: gosh. Can't believe that. (laughs) Sometimes I just still can't believe what we're in right now. It blows my mind. It's mind boggling. Yeah.
2: Um, But going through therapy, I, I found I didn't need a lot because I already had a lot of knowledge just from my background. It was really that I needed needed the support of someone to walk me through what I already knew. Mm -hmm. Um, And so back in January, I went back to work um, and it was a really slow process. Again, I had really supportive um, colleagues um, who let me kind of ease into it and it made all the difference. And um after being back at work. Um, I was there for 10 weeks before COVID happened. But I was able to work through um, some of my biggest triggers. And for me, it was meetings. Um, I think because that was where that first panic attack was. Um, but eight weeks in, I actually got through a meeting with that was pretty intense with some families. And anyways, um it was a really big victory for me. And so um, I was talking to my best friend, who's also a behavior analyst, and was telling her about some of the strategies um, that I was using um, as someone who has a background in behavior analysis. And she was the one who encouraged me to start an Instagram account. Um, And so I did. And it has been a journey. Every time I feel like, gosh, I'm not growing the way I thought I would, um, someone will DM me every single time I have that thought. Someone will DM me and tell me what a difference it makes. Um, and I think part of why it's not growing as fast um, or I don't get the comments as much as I wish I was is because it's still stigmatized. Um, people don't want to talk about a lot of these things. And so rather yeah. than somebody commenting that they are that they can relate, they'll DM me.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and
2: that's okay. Um, yeah. Um, And so, I just hope that you know we can continue to have these conversations because um, I remember months feeling like life is never going to be the same. like, how am I ever going to get through this? This is how it's going to feel forever, and that's not the case. Um, and so, I'm just again, really thankful to be on here with you guys and I'm just excited to be having this conversation.
0: I love it I wonder, thanks for sharing your story. That's incredible. I wonder
1: what it is about anxiety and panic where you feel like it's never gonna change i thought it was really interesting that you said that because i had a really bad panic attack where i my heart rate was at 160 and i had to go to the er to get them to like make it go down and after that was just triggered i mean the anxiety was just out of control and i remember saying to my friends crying being like I just don't want it to always be this way. How do I know it's not going to always be this way? How do I know? Like literally that question was like looming in my brain forever. Yeah. Um, And obviously it's not because I'm in a different space now, even though I'm still dealing with it, it's different than what it looked like. But I'm just curious because now that I heard you say it, I'm like, why is that? That feels like it's not going to end. Is that part of panic?
2: I don't know that it's necessarily part of panic. I think what it is, is that panic feels so uncontrollable. Um, You know, there are definitely clear triggers, but then there are also times where out of nowhere, you start those familiar first signs of a panic attack. And it's like, what, what is going on? Like, why is my brain responding this way? And so I think that feeling not in control is a really vulnerable feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if you experience that enough, it's hard to, um, you're in a different area of your brain, right? You're not in that logical spot where you know that this is not going to be forever. You're just in this, everything feels out of control kind of space. Mm
0: -hmm. It reminds me of something Dr. Berger said the last time we were talking, that was the difference between anxiety and fear. And he was saying that anxiety the, one of the, there's many differences, but one of them is that the future, it's like something crazy is going to happen in the future. And it's a big question mark. Or he said it a lot better yeah. than that.
1: Yeah. Versus fear is something you're dealing with right now. Like right now. Right, yeah.
0: And I wonder if it is tied to that in a sense. Cause like for me, when I have like intense anxiety and panic attacks, it's not logical. Like I'm thinking about Something that could potentially happen, but there's no facts that it will right. actually happen. I'm just like spiraling to the the you know steps one through twelve, and I think that could also be one to infinity, like what you're saying, like this no. is never going to end. this will mm-hmm. continue until the end of time, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah: Well, so, oh
1: sorry, go. no, 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 go go, go. No, I was going to say so clinically. Can you kind of, since we did the difference between fear and anxiety and the difference between, like with Alan, can you do the difference between anxiety and panic? Because in my mind, they kind of, there's like a stepping stone to like each one. Yeah. So anxiety is more
2: of um, like worry about an imagined threat that may or may not happen. There are different types of anxieties. So there are like specific phobias where you're afraid of snakes or spiders or getting a shot. Um, There's social anxiety where you have worries about, you know, being, interacting, interacting with people or being out in public. Um, There's more generalized anxiety, which is just kind of pervasive worry about a lot of different things all of the time. Um, And then panic is more of like a discrete spell of intense fear. Um,
1: Yeah, it's like terror. That's what yes, I think of it as. Exactly.
2: Exactly. One of the um, panic attacks I had one time in a car, I remember telling my husband after it was as if someone had run into a room with a gun. Like I was so terrified mm-hmm. and we were stuck in traffic on a freeway. And so I felt trapped. And I told him, I remember sitting there crying, saying, I know this isn't logical, I know this makes no sense, but I'm so scared right now. Um, And I think there's definitely that, the intensity I think is what's different um, with anxiety versus panic. I think that's at least a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I think is also really important to note for people who are dealing with panic is that it's not possible for the body to remain in panic forever. physically it's just not possible and so that's always something that helps me too if i have gotten to a more heightened state of panic it's just remembering this is not forever this is not forever just kind of writing those feelings out because they will stop
0: that's really helpful i i'm i have just going to bring this up because i brought it up in the last episode and or not the last up ep- whatever the last time we talked about anxiety um So I had a situation where we had a break-in in in our home and I was by myself. And so I had, we were discussing anxiety and I was like, so is this anxiety? And so, but hearing your uh, definition, it like becomes so much clearer, I think for me, because I have a lot of anxiety now about being home alone at night. And I was thinking that that, the, the entire experience was anxiety, but now I feel like it's the, what is it? It's noon. So if, I ha- if I'm if i home alone today and I'm thinking I'm going to be home alone tonight and I get stressed, that's anxiety. But when I wake up at 3 a.m. and I'm like literally heart rate, I'm mm-hmm. sweating, like the sheets are soaked because I've been sweating so much and I legit like, swear I hear someone in the house, even though we have a full alarm system now and it, like, I would know, but yeah. it's, so that's the difference. The whole thing uh, is anxiety. It's the anxiety is maybe the building up of the yeah. panic moment. Yeah. Is that sound?
2: Yeah. I think that's a great way to say it. Panic typically won't last for more than a half hour. Um So yeah, that, um, that intense period, you know, of time that is relatively short when you're in it. It does not feel short.
0: Feels Um, so long.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: Forever. Um, But yeah, that that could definitely be more of like a panic state.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Megan, I'm like so distracted because the lighting in your room is like so beautiful. (laughs) I was thinking the same thing sorry is she in a studio right now like her skin is flawless it's like you're living in a filter right now and i'm like oh very gosh. aware of like my pores <laughs> oh my
1: gosh does not that I mean, look like
0: that to you can you not thank tell
1: thank you well i mean yes it looks nice i guess but- <laughs> I wasn't thinking it was distracting.
0: <laughs> in a good way. In a good way. I'm just like, oh my gosh, you look so good right now.
1: <laughs> thank, thank you. I mean, so I have a tan wall in front of me and I'm pretty sure the light behind me is reflecting on the wall. It's gonna shine uh, back on me. I mean, I love you it. know, tricks.
0: <laughs> Whatever you're doing. Whatever you're doing, I love it. <laughs>
1: thank you that's really helpful um... though
0: to like I think it's just like super helpful for people honestly to just have a definition because if you don't have a name for it it's really easy to like assign it something else like to what you were saying um Kristen you were just like well you know I there's health issues going on or like Mm -hmm. You can kind of either suppress it or excuse it away or just kind of like in an unhealthy way, just like sit in it and never clearly define what it is. Um, I think that's really, really helpful just to have a definition.
1: Well,
2: even like, sorry, Kristen, go ahead. Oh, that's okay. I was just going to say, I think it goes along with really the first step in treatment of panic. Um, at least from a cognitive behavioral perspective, which there's so much evidence about cognitive behavioral therapy and its effectiveness for panic disorder. But step one is what we call psychoeducation. Um, So really understanding what you're experiencing, understanding the diagnostic criteria. Um, You know, I always go back to that phrase, knowledge is power. Um, And it's so true Um, and I remember the first step for me really in making starting to make progress was when I read a book. Um, I believe it's called Rewire Your Anxious Brain. It's by Catherine Pittman. It is gonna
1: have it somewhere here, I was gonna show you.
2: (laughs) It is a gem. Um, and she really talks about how um anxiety and panic come from different parts of the brain. So whereas more general anxiety is occurring in the cortex. Panic is coming from the amygdala and she lays the book out so nicely. I actually listened to it on audible, which I think was even more helpful. Um, And she really talks about, okay, if you feel these symptoms, you're probably dealing with, um, you know, cortex anxiety. If you deal with these symptoms, it's probably more like amygdala based panic. And it was so validating. It was just like somebody, somebody saying, yes, this is what you're experiencing um, there was just so much power in that for me. Um, and then she yes. also goes into treatment from there. But, um, but yeah, I think understanding being able to label, um, I think that's such an important first step.
1: I love that. Yeah. And Emily's mm. going to get tired of me mentioning this book, but I told you, Kristen, that I've been reading, um, the body keeps the score and even just, mm-hmm. I felt, I felt the same validation that you're talking about from this book because I literally felt crazy yeah that I could not control my emotions yep. and then it did not make sense to other people oh. and they don't get it. So then I feel even more crazy. Yep. And not only that, but it it for me, this is what I'm recognizing or what I believe to be true is that a lot of my physical pain is manifesting as as a lot of my anxiety is manifesting as physical symptoms uh-huh. and it's it's hearing that, that that's actually a thing that trauma gets trapped in your body yep. in a physical way made me feel like I wasn't crazy. And I'm literally reading this book crying, oh. feeling so validated, yep. like, okay, I am not insane. <laughs> Yeah.
0: And if you're listening, um, I will put links to the book Kristen referenced, um, re- it Revive Your Anxious Brain.
2: Rewire.
0: Rewire. Oh, re- rewire. Oh, can't even read my own writing. Rewire. <laughs> and then we've done it before, but it has been a minute. So I will re link the um, Body Keeps the Score book for listeners. So you, it'll be in the episode notes for everyone.
1: So, what are some, I guess, ways to combat? panic when it's happening?
2: Yeah, so really, um, I think one of the important things about panic is that it really is best if you can work with a therapist um, for it, because the treatment protocol is pretty specific. um, And it's really helpful when you can have someone walk you through it systematically, because that's where you're going to see the most benefit. So From like a CBT perspective, psychoeducation, first of all, really having a thorough understanding of what you're experiencing. And I think Megan, you touched on why that's so important because with panic, you do feel insane. And some people, when they're having a panic attack, have that feeling of I'm going crazy. Um, And that's really scary and upsetting and just kind of hard to sit with. And so I think understanding that that's normal is huge. So there's that. Um, The second step is really having a good understanding of your triggers. um, Because a lot of the times there are triggers. The triggers could be a place, could be a person, it could be a smell, um, it could be um, seeing or hearing something. um, All because again, panic is coming from the amygdala and the amygdala focuses on memory and emotional associations. And so really understanding those triggers is really important. And then a therapist is gonna help you rank those fears. So, okay, tell me what's the most fear provoking for you and what's the least. And then we're gonna start with the least because then what you wanna do is expose yourself to those triggers. Um, but again it sounds it. like
0: the worst thing in the entire world <laughs> I know I Was like oh my gosh I was not expecting her to say that I thought she was me like and then we stay away from those things. <laughs> <laughs> wow so you just like <laughs> in there that's the best Emily <laughs> <laughs> I was like I can't help it it's like my nature stay like, away. Like, that's what people are gonna say next and I was like Oh, I know where this is going.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, opposite.
0: Opposite. Wow. Well,
2: let me talk a little bit about what I did when I went back to work. So I was out for a full semester. It was five months. And in that time, I remember um, maybe three months in, I was thinking to myself, gosh, you know, I can go to Target now and not feel like I'm having a panic attack. And I realized I'd been going to Target like twice a week because Target Oh yeah. Um, and not having, you know, I started with, I'm going to run in and buy one thing and then I'm getting out of there. Um, and then I'm going to go in um, with my husband and I'm going to stay for like 10 minutes and then I'm going to get out of there. Um, and doing that consistently, it was retraining my brain to recognize Target is not a danger. It's okay. Um, and so I really realized just how important that practice was. So when it was time for me to go back to work, um, I remember having breakfast with my boss. She's a saint, seriously. I've also become very passionate about anxiety in the workplace because I literally would not be working today if it were not for my boss. She made it possible for me because she was so flexible and open to doing whatever I needed her to do. That's incredible. I remember having breakfast with her and having the conversation of what my triggers were. And I told her, you know, meetings terrify me, legit terrify me. Just the thought of them makes my heart start to beat faster, um, all of that. And so I remember her saying to me, you know, Kristen, when you come back, you might not sit in a meeting for months and that's okay. You can call into them. You can FaceTime into them. Whatever you need to do, um, we will make that work. And so my first time back to work, I literally walked on campus for 20 minutes, said hi to people in the front office, and left. Um, And then the next time, I think I was on campus for an hour, hour and a half, said hi to a couple more people, and left. And the important thing, too, was that I did not leave in a state of panic. I stayed making sure that I was calm and then left. Because what you don't want to do is have those panicky feelings and then escape. Because you're just reinforcing in your brain that it's scary. Uh So So
0: leaving when you're calm, is that almost like associating work now with a calm experience, not with a panic experience?
1: Exactly. So what would you have done, though, if you did have a panic attack there? Would you have tried to stay? Yes. Oh. And that is why you start small. So
2: the whole point is to start small to hopefully not have those panicked feelings in the first place. Um, And the other thing I did was when I was interacting with people, I was with a good friend who knew exactly what was happening. And we would come up with signals for what I could do if I felt panicked. So that she could help me either use a coping skill or take me to her office so that I could calm down in her office and then leave. Um, Yeah, it was just really important to be able to not escape when I felt panicked. And that's hard. Um, It's very uncomfortable. And sometimes it's really frightening. Um, But again, that's why you want to start small because hopefully you're not going to have that full-blown panic because you've worked up to
1: these experiences.
2: Mm.
1: Right. That makes all the sense. Can't imagine. I mean, I'll get there. I believe Mm -hmm. in myself, but it's hard for me to imagine being in that state and not fleeing because my very first response is like, even if I'm in my bedroom or whatever, wherever, it doesn't matter where I am. I want to run. (laughs) i just like, I well, and run actually, anywhere, it doesn't really matter.
2: Yeah. And actually, that's a really good point, Megan. So I kind of want to rewind because I jumped a step. So after you understand your triggers and you kind of rank them, you also need to be developing a repertoire of coping skills um, because you need to be able to use those coping skills when you're encountering your triggers. Um, so I don't know. Do you want me to talk a little bit about what some of those skills
1: are that people can sure. use? We yeah. want to leave people on a good note.
0: Okay. <laughs> Also, I think it would be really practical to um, like, obviously we always encourage people to seek out therapy, but I know right now, especially during the pandemic, that's like one step, a little bit more challenging for people. So I think it would be really awesome to just a little something that like a nugget people could hang on to and maybe try practicing on their own. Yeah
2: so um, one of the other cool things about the district that i work for is that they have really embraced mindfulness as a practice um, in the classroom for students um, and they're also working on um, using it as a program for staff they offer a variety of different mindfulness classes that our staff can take free of charge That's awesome. um, and mindfulness is kind of up and coming as far as research um, but there's a lot of really good preliminary research about a lot of different benefits, reducing anxiety, reducing depression, reducing um, chronic pain. Um, and so one of the things that I would do every morning is I would use the Headspace app. It's a free app and they have, um, you can choose between three and 10 minutes of a guided meditation. And mindfulness is really just about accepting your, where you are in the moment um, acknowledging your anxious thoughts accepting them and then letting them go um, so there's a few different mindfulness practices one is meditation like that um, another is deep breathing um, and this has been really helpful for me I think a lot of people don't give deep breathing the credit that it deserves um, one of the benefits of deep breathing is that it activates the parasympathetic nervous system which is What's going to bring down um, your panic, or at least do it faster? Um, And so, when I talk about deep breathing, I mean deep enough where you can feel your stomach going up and down if you have your hand on your stomach. Mm -hmm. Um, Not too slow, because you also don't want to induce a feeling of I'm not getting enough oxygen. So, I say steady. (laughs) Rather than slow, I say steady, deep breaths. Um, And then I also use um, what's called grounding techniques. Grounding techniques are really about noticing your immediate environment. So it could be something like there's something called the five, four, three, two, one method, where you label five things that you see, and four things that you hear, and three things that you smell, and on and on.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: for me, I find it's a good distraction. Um, so I will do deep breathing at the same time as looking around my environment. Oh, I see that green tree. Oh. I see that flower, it has some purple petals. Um, And then lastly, when I can, I will engage in a conversation. And this is something that I can really only do at those first signs of panic. Once I'm in a full-on episode, talking's not going (laughs) to happen. But at those first signs, when I'm first noticing it, if I, I can get into a conversation and distract myself, it is the biggest help. Um, and I actually remember when I sat in, um, on the um, meeting that I had, that was the really intense one that was like the truest test. of How far have I come? Um, I remember somebody else was actually presenting their report and they were taking a little too long and I was starting to get a little bit bored and I could feel my anxiety rising and, um, and so then I just had to start doing the different grounding techniques until it was time that I could start talking. And once I did, um, I was fine. Um, so yeah, I think those that that distraction is really helpful as well. Um,
1: were you, sorry, were you done?
2: No, go ahead. I was.
1: Um, I think it's interesting that you talked about breathing being overrated because there's something else that I kind of have experienced recently that i think is kind of overrated and you actually mentioned it very briefly you talked about accepting Mm -hmm. like where you were at Mm -hmm. and i think it was even just my very last therapy session i was telling my therapist about how again i was feeling like this is going to be forever and i'm never not going to be feeling anxious and sad and panicky and whatever feelings and she was like or she's like you could feel what you're feeling accept." that this is where you're at and then that's actually going to move you into the space you want to be because the reason you're staying stuck here is because you're thinking this is going to be here forever Mm -hmm. and because you don't like that. And if you just accepted where you're at right now, it would actually like get you to where you want to be. And I was like, what? Like mind blown. I love
0: that. I love that so much. Also, I was going to say, um, We actually did a free grounding meditation Oh, cool! that we offered up. I, Megan, do you remember which it was the way we kicked off season two, right? Yeah.
1: So it should be the beginning of this year. The
0: the very, very beginning of season two. Yeah. It was so timely because COVID was like... A month later. A month later. And we were just kind of like, hey, the last free meditation we put out was such a hit. And like a new year... New anxieties, new pressures. We were like, "This this might be a cool thing." And then, I, Megan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like almost every episode we've had since we've referenced that. We're like, Mm -hmm. "Great resource here. It's so helpful." We didn't even know how good it was could be. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, we did one, but there's like a lot of people putting out free content that are basically right what you're talking about, Kristen. There's so many things available right now for people um because i know therapy like a huge hindrance for people is just the price
2: yeah absolutely
0: which is frustrating yeah but anyways i love it so
1: yeah this has been amazing yeah um but i think it's probably a good segue into kind of like wrapping up our episode and so we always like to leave gonna call them clients we always like to leave listeners with like (laughs) hope or you know encouragement or um essentially like a tool um that they can use um so I'd love for you, if you if you haven't mentioned it already, to kind of share one thing that you would say to somebody that's either already knows they're dealing with this, and that's why they're listening to this episode, or maybe even through this episode, kind of recognizing that they this is something that they struggle with and giving it a name, um, yeah. either way, but just what's like a nugget that you would be like, here you go, this is my gift of love. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I just want to piggyback off of what you said too. And if you feel like, oh, I just listed a lot of tools. Even if it's like one takeaway, like if you didn't listen, if you were working out and you kind of blanked on everything else we talked about, um, A, rewind, re-listen, because it's really good. But just if there's one little takeaway yeah Um, actually
2: um i had posted on uh, my instagram stories a couple days ago about um, an experience i had at my son's preschool graduation this week um, where we were waiting for the ceremony to start and you know it was really my first outing in a group of people since all this started and i started feeling those initial signs of panic and i did my deep breathing i started talking to my son talked to my daughter pointing out you know oh look at the balloons look at this look at that Um, And within a few minutes, those feelings were gone. And so I talked about that on my stories and one of my friends who's also an MFT messaged me and she said, I love how you instill hope. And I just thought, and that's so important. We have to have hope, right? We have to be able to cling to, this is not gonna be forever. Um, Because it really does feel like it will be at times. Um, So I think the two things that I would say are, I promise it's not forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and to ask for help, it's really important. Um, panic disorder is so treatable. Um, and especially when it's done right, it can be treatable in a, in a relatively short amount of time. It hasn't even been a year that I've over gotten over the hump of the worst of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and life already feels a lot more normal. So have hope
1: and get support.
0: That is so encouraging. I know. I was like, I feel so hopeful. <laughs> I know. I think too, just like straight up saying like, Hey, listen, I started off by telling you how this whole thing started. And that to me, I wasn't totally sure timeline wise, like where we were, but it's like, Oh, that was less than a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, and you're like living in a pandemic right now. Yes. Yeah. That's well. really, really encouraging. Yeah. Really, really encouraging. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Um, we're going to link your Instagram in the episode notes. Um, and obviously we'll have, um, her on our feed as well. So if you guys want to check Kristen out and all the content she's putting out there, it's so, so good. Yeah, it's really good. It's Hello resilience, but we'll, we'll tag her and put a link in do you have like a website or a blog or anything else that we could add a additional link to? I don't
2: yet. It's something I'm toying around with, so I love we'll. It. See. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, the second you do something, you'll have to let us know, and we'll blast it everywhere. Um, and then, I guess, um, if you guys have questions uh, for us or for Kristen or anything like related to this topic, you could also DM us at Wedding Therapy um, Podcast. Yes. I never remember if podcast is in the thing, you know? It
1: is. Wedding it is therapy the podcasts.
0: <laughs> got it. Got it. <laughs> um, and yeah, we're gonna have a part two to this, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Part two, but different. Different topics. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks, Kristen, so much. Thank you guys.
1: Thanks for listening to the Wedding Therapy Podcast, brought to you by Tasteful Tatters and Megan Christine Photography.
0: If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We always appreciate hearing from you. Leave a review. It only takes a couple seconds. For more, follow
1: us on Instagram and Facebook at Wedding Therapy Podcast. And you can always email us at WeddingTherapyPodcast at gmail.com. Crunch, crunch, crunch. (laughs) So loud. (laughs)